Good to see you. Good to see uh, everybody, and uh, it's good to be back. I'm glad that uh, glad to be back. I want to uh, personally thank Audrey and Jared, specifically Audrey, for helping to lead in my short absence. Uh, go ahead and give her a round of applause, or thank her personally. She did a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, and now you're back with me, so take that as you will. But we're gonna stand. We're gonna uh, continue to or begin our worship this morning. Um, as soon as my guitar, is my guitar coming through? It's not in here at all. <laughs> we're, uh, we're having fun running back and forth with our sound stuff, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad that we've started at 930, that we're, uh, trying to beat the heat and all. So, uh, would you guys stand with us as we, uh, begin to sing? I think you can find lyrics over there on the table or online at civalhambra.com. You can also find our service notes and everything that you need for the service, including our connection card and things like that online. Once again, civalhambra.com. There's the guitar. All right, let's go. Heaven sounds like we praise you, we praise you. 
this is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. God, I look to you. I won't be 
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Church in the Valley. Um, my name is Jonathan Rickert, in case you don't know me. We're really just glad that you're here to join us this Sunday, whether that's here in person or whether you are here with us virtually. Um, as you heard from Victor this morning, if you're looking for lyrics or a connection card, any information, you can find that at www.civalhambra.com Sunday. You can also get a hard copy over here at the table. And inside of that is uh, notes for our, our message today, lyrics, and our connection card. Now, if you could go ahead and pull out that connection card, I would really appreciate that because we would actually really appreciate it if everyone could fill that out this morning. There's a couple of sections I want to draw your attention to. One is whether you're a first time, second time, or out of town guest. And another is how you heard about us here at Church in the Valley. If you could fill those out, we'd appreciate that. And then you can just drop that in the offering bucket at the end of service. Now, if you're a guest with us, we really just want to thank you for joining us here this morning. We have a book called How Good is Good Enough. And that's just a free gift for you that you can take for yourself or friend or family member. And you can pick that up over here at the resource table as well. Now, we have a couple of special announcements today. First of all, in case um, you haven't been in here in the past couple of weeks, our volunteer appreciation picnic is going to be on Saturday, August 14th. And we're going to be having more information coming up for you for that. But for the moment, please just mark that on your calendar because we would really love for everyone to attend. We also are ready to reopen all of our kids' own classes. We want to reopen our nursery and our toddlers, which I know all the parents are super excited about. But what we do need is we need a few more volunteers. So if you would be interested in joining our nursery, our toddlers group, you can just mark that on the back of your connection card at the bottom where it says comments or prayers. Um, and as soon as we get those fully staffed, we're going to reopen that. Now, we're also joining or creating a new team. It is our media team, and our media team is going to oversee our website as well as some other things. So if you are interested in potentially being a part of our media team, go ahead and just mark that on the back of your connection card as well. Now, we have one more thing that we want to announce to you. For those of you who have been around for uh, a while, you have met Chris and Amy Hines, and Chris and Amy Hines are two members of our church who have been extraordinarily faithful throughout the years. They have served in so many different roles. Amy was our Kids Zone director for a long time. They've served as community group leaders just in so many different ways. And sadly, this is their last Sunday because they are moving on to Colorado to take on the next step of life. So we really just want to take a moment to honor their service and all the ways that they have blessed our church throughout the years. So for a moment, if you can all just join me in clapping for them to honor them. Chris and Amy, we have a, a gift for you as a church that we just want to give to you to thank you and send you on your way as you step into this new phase of life. And so Mark has that for you after service. But again, we just we wanted to give you guys all the opportunity that if you want to connect with them after service and just... Wish them luck, pray for them, and um, encourage them. I really encourage you to do that. And now I'm going to go and pray, and then we'll continue worshiping with another song. God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the, the cooler air here at uh, 930, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, bless this morning. May we really 
focus our hearts on you and really hear from you as John comes up and speaks your word to us, God. Uh, I do pray for Chris and Amy that you would really bless their path as they move on to Colorado, that you would really just use them as a light there uh, in all that you have for them, God. And again, we just thank you for their, their service and their faithfulness throughout the years. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to sing?
Lord, that we can come and worship you, Lord. I just pray for um, that we open our hearts, Lord, um, and that you speak through us, through John. Uh, Lord, that we really are um, filled with your spirit today. No matter what we're bringing today, Lord, I pray that we come in full surrender um, as we open our ears and our hearts to hear you. Remember that you are our Savior and you are at our center of our lives, God. Whether we come with broken voices or um, broken hands, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we know that we are completely loved and treasured and valued by you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, all. How are you today? Good. Well, I'm so blessed to be here, of course, and uh, very thankful to God. This week, uh, we've been trying to sort out some of the boxes of stuff in our house that we haven't looked at for about five years, maybe ten, some of them. And uh, I will say it's been a journey through God's faithfulness and uh, as well as, you know, a lot of mess, but it's been a journey through God's faithfulness and to realize uh, that uh, in the kind of leftovers of your life, as you, as you find things that you didn't forget, you forgot you ever had, you see a story of what God has been doing over the years and his faithfulness and how along the way uh, he has kept true to his own word to us and to everyone. The subject for this morning is who speaks for God and our text is from the Bible, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 to 16. Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible and uh, if you have a Bible you might want to follow along with this. As I said before here, uh, what I'm about, to, I'm going to read the whole chapter. There's only 16 verses, so don't get anxious. Uh, it's, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and what I'm about to read is the most important thing you will hear this morning. It's the Word of God. It's the Scripture. Anything that I've, I'm going to say around and about this is only secondary to what this actually says. So let's listen. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we, we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, she should, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she, be, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. And after that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Paran. Well, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about chapter 11 of the book of Numbers. I remember I said we were going to complain about complaining. And then Numbers chapter 11 is about the people of Israel complaining about their circumstances and particularly about their food and the manner that the miraculous food that God gave them every day that they thought have a good grumble about. And so it's complaining over God's provision, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 12 is people complaining over God's word, over how he speaks and who he speaks through. And it's another one of these complaint passages in chapter 12. And of course, what we see here is Moses being defended and supported by God and Aaron and Miriam being quite thoroughly rebuked. Uh, and that's really what's going on. But let's try to understand really much more of the detail here. And the question before us is, who does speak for God? Who speaks for God? Or another way of saying that is, who does God speak through? That's the question that was asked in verse 2. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? That's the question that Miriam and Aaron are asking, and that was the substance of their complaint. You know, and I think this is, you know, this is, this is ancient, but it's very relevant. We all want to know what it, we all want to hear an authoritative word. We want to know what the truth is. And as believers, of course, we want to know what God is saying and who is speaking for him. And of course, our tendency, especially in, the, in, in a 21st century culture, is wanting to be our own authorities, uh, to, to, for us to be the one that decide what God is saying, and for us to be the one through whom God is speaking, and in a sense to make up our own religion, to do it our way. And of course, that's, that's just, uh, you know, the pattern of life. I, uh, we want to do things our way. I, was, uh, I used to minister quite a bit in Holland, in Netherlands, and uh, there was a kind of saying there uh, in the churches among there, you know, if you're in any room where you've got three Dutchmen, there's two denominations. It's uh, one of those things that they, they loved to Because the Dutch, are, I love the Dutch, they're, they're so idealist. They all have this wonderful ideal of uh, how they're supposed to live. And none of their ideals are exactly the same as each other. And so they all tend to, uh, you know, live this 
try to push their idealized life and, and as far as it will go for themselves and that tends of course in the end push it too hard that tends to separate uh, from other people who are living slightly different ideals uh, and uh, but of course the Dutchman uh, and, and the Netherlanders have nothing on the Americans you know we, we uh, we've created far more denominations than they ever dreamed of over here and uh, you know uh, some somebody said of course God must love denominations he made so many of them but I'm not sure that's really uh, how it works. The question is, who speaks for God? Who has that authoritative word? Who should we listen to? Of course, the question presumes something, doesn't it? The question presumes that God does actually speak. The question presumes that God is speak, does speak. And not only does he speak, he speaks through people. And that's, of course, what the Bible witnesses to over and over, over again. The Bible itself is witness to God speaking through others. Every person who wrote the Bible, every author of every biblical book is a witness to the fact that God is speaking through that person. And we're still reading today what God spoke through them as they wrote it down. So in this passage, we have this, uh, this a family dispute is really going on. Miriam and Aaron and Moses are all siblings. Uh, they all come, have the same parents. And, uh, and so in verses 1 and 2, we, sort of, we see this complaint go ahead. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. That's verse 1. Let me just ask, who were Miriam and Aaron, of course, uh, they were all from the tribe of Levi, one of the 12, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and in Numbers 26, it says this, The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, and she bore to Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. By the way, Miriam uh, doesn't come out too well in this passage, but in other parts of the Bible, she comes out pretty well. And, and for example, back in Exodus chapter 2, She's the sister of Moses who st when there's a, there's a kind of a pogrom out and uh, the Pharaoh is trying to kill or murder every Hebrew infant as, when they're born. She's the one, this is Moses is the one whose mother took him and put him in a basket and put it in the reeds of the river and uh, to see, you know, what was got to, what hope that God would rescue him somehow. And Mir Miriam is the sister who stood over and watch what was happening. And when Pharaoh's daughter found the baby Moses, she's the one who suggested that she get a Hebrew nurse to look after the baby. Turns out, of course, she went back to her mother and got uh, Moses and her own mother to look after the baby on behalf of the Egyptian princess. So that's who we're talking about here. But in this situation, Miriam and Aaron are, well, they're subject to a lot of envy, I think. And we don't really see that in verse 1. It really comes up in verse 2 when they said, you know, hasn't God spoken through us also? And that's probably the, really the, the real target of their attacks on Moses. Because first, the verse verse is really, it's what we call an ad hominem attack. Ad hominem in Latin, to the man. It's, it means... Uh, attacking a person because uh, because your argument is weak, <laughs> right? 
you don't want to, uh, you can't really deal with the facts, so you attack the person. It's like, uh, this happens all the time, right? Anytime someone has said to you, you're only saying that because you are, that's a form of ad hominem attack. You know, you're only saying that because you're young, you're old, you're white, you're black, you're Asian, you know, you're rich, you're poor, uh, you're American, you're Australian, whatever it is. Uh, that's an ad hominem attack. Uh, and their question is really about who speaks for God or who is God speaking through. And, but they hit upon a weakness in Moses. They think they've hit upon a weakness. Uh, and, and notice, by the way, they're complaining not to God. Remember, two weeks ago we talked about we, we shouldn't really complain, but sometimes it's right to pour out your troubles, you, but you do it to God. And they didn't complain to God. They talked to, to everybody around. And the thing they hit upon that they could criticize Moses for, a perceived weakness which might undermine his authority, was he'd married a foreigner. And now it's not uh, someone of a different race. This is not quite clear uh, to scholars exactly uh, who the Cushites were. We think the Cushites were a people south of Egypt, probably in Ethiopia, somewhere there, although some people think it's different. But that's probably where she comes from. It's not exactly clear if this is the same woman as Zipporah, Moses' wife uh, that he already mentioned in the story in Exodus. And uh, it's possible that Zipporah has passed away and by this time, and now he's married again, second time. Or it's theoretically possible he took a second wife. Uh, but uh, it also could be her, except that she was called in Exodus a Midianite, and here, this is a Cushite. So exactly who this is, we don't really know. But that's what they're saying. Uh, you, Moses married a foreign woman. She's from somewhere else. Now, so perhaps Moses' character really was an issue. You know, yet there was no law at this stage in Israel's existence, no law against marrying outside of Israel. Now, that was not against the law, uh, although perhaps it, if since Israel was meant to be monotheistic and, and the nations around were polytheistic pagans, it may be not always the best thing, and that's got a lot of other people into trouble later on when they married uh, idol-worshipping uh, pagans uh, you know, who were as yet unconverted to the, mono, to the one God. But God does not address this issue in this passage. He didn't think it's important. And really, it was just a smokescreen for what Miriam Aaron's real complaint was. This was a character attack, not the real issue. So that's verse 1. But verse 2 is really where the meat of the argument comes in. And they say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? So what we see in this first couple of verses is that envy, envy seeks glory. Envy seeks glory and power. They're envious of Moses' prominence. They're envious of his prominence, uh, of his authority, of his power, of the, that he seems to be the one who is uh, in charge of everything and particularly the one who has that key word from God for Israel. 
and so they want attention for themselves. It's a form of self-validation. Now, the fact is that God, in, in one level, they're right. God had or ha did speak through Miriam and Aaron. Moses was not the only person through whom God spoke. And in fact, Moses never claimed to be the only person through whom God spoke. But in their mind, that's, the, there was so much, if you like, honor, uh, authority, accruing to Moses, gathering about Moses, they wanted in on some of that glory, which is, of course, not what Moses was after at all. So back in chapter 15 of Exodus, verse 20, Miriam, who leads all the uh, women of Israel in a, uh, in a, in a worship and a song and dance uh, with her tambourine, and, uh, and, and uh, she is called a prophetess. So she is a prophetess, uh, and she sings this prophetic song that Moses has already sung, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is after the deliverance through the Red Sea. In Micah, the, chapter 6, verse 4, we see, uh, Micah says this, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, this is to Israel he's speaking, Micah the prophet, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, God is saying, and I redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. So this is many centuries later that Micah is writing as a prophet of the Lord, and Miriam is included with Moses and Aaron as a, a sort of a three-part leadership team that brought Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And God had also spoken through Aaron many times. Uh, if, you, if you just take the time to read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll see that God speaks to Aaron frequently, most of the time, however, uh, with Moses. He, God spoke to Aaron and Moses, or Moses and Aaron is usually put in chapter 12. Uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. That's God setting Israel's calendar. When did the year start? When's the Jewish new year? That's, that's all begun by God speaking to Moses and Aaron. In Leviticus 11, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, speak to the people of Israel. These are the things, living things you may eat among all the animals that are on earth. So setting up the food laws, that was God speaking through Moses and Aaron. But so, and there are many of these, but three times there are, God, spoke, God speaks to Aaron uh, without Moses being included. So in Exodus 4, when the Lord says to Aaron, you know, go into the wilderness to meet Moses, of course, he guides him there. In, in Leviticus 10, where the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, don't drink wine or strong drink or you and your sons when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. So Aaron is the high priest, so he's not allowed to drink uh, alcohol uh, when he goes into the tent of meeting. And in Numbers 18, uh, the Lord spoke to Aaron, I've given, I've given you charge of the gifts made to me, all the consecrated things of the people of Israel. And so, yeah, Aaron could hear God's voice and hear it for others. 
But we also have many times where God speaks to Moses and says, command Aaron to do this or that or the other. In other words, most of the time when God speaks through Aaron, it's along with Moses. And many times God speaks to Moses to command Aaron. So although Aaron is prophetic, he hears from God, he gets important revelation. By far, he's certainly in the, min in the minority position. That is, is in the secondary or less important position compared to Moses in this situation. But Miriam and Aaron seemed to be worried that Moses was being exalted above them by God using him. That's a form of envy. And thank you once again. Mark, was it who arranged the flyover for today? Thank you. <laughs> now, envy and jealousy. Envy, of course, is when you really want what someone else has. Jealousy is when you really get worried about someone taking what you think you have or should have or do have. It's, it's deadly in the church, it's in business, in family, it's a deadly thing. In Numbers 16, five, uh, four chapters later, Aaron himself is the target, along with Moses, of a lot of envy by one of his uh, relatives, Korah, and his whole rebellion uh, you know, as to who should be priest and who should be in charge and and uh, and so on. He's, he himself, the one who is here, envious, becomes the target of others' envy. Uh, now, in chapter 12, which we are looking at of Numbers, uh, in verse 2, the last line is very important. They said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And it says, and the Lord heard. The Lord heard. Now, last two weeks ago when we looked at Numbers 11, the people complained about their food and everything, and it said there in Numbers 11:1, 1, when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And that's when he started to judge Israel for their complaining. So one thing you know for sure, when you complain, guess who's listening? Uh, whoever is you, you think should be listening, God is hearing and and so the lord heard it and this two these two phrases the lord heard israel's complaint the lord heard aaron and miriam's complaint it's all a way of tying these two chapters together so that they're both kind of species of complaining just about different things and you know we want the lord to hear our prayers of course but in this situation when it says the lord heard it there's more of an ominous sound to this. Something is going to happen and something really does. So envy seeks glory and power. We move to verses 3 to 9, the next part, of, or 3 to 10, the next part of the chapter. We talk now about the opposite of envy, really, which is humility. Humility receives God's work. Humility receives God's word. Envy wants to be known to be God's mouthpiece. I want to, they want to have the glory of being God's mouthpiece to Israel. That seems like a position of great honor. And we're talking about a culture here 
which is very much honor-based, honor and shame-based, perhaps we could even think of it like that, where, uh, you know, in, some, in a materialistic culture, uh, and some people think that, you know, North American culture is a bit like that, in a materialistic culture, we say, we say, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? In other words, uh, the, the, goal, the goal in life is to accumulate as much stuff as you can. And that's how you know you're winning, when you've got more stuff than the next guy or the next woman. In an, in a, in an honor-shame culture, he who dies with the most honor wins. And that's how you win the game of life, by being more honored. How you lose is by being shamed. Actually, of course, there's a, there's a great deal of honor and shame going on in American culture. Uh, but, so it's not simply materialism. Now, but that's what happens. But in, in humility is not seeking honor. Humility is receiving God's word, right? And so suddenly the Lord spoke to Mer Moses and Aaron and Miriam and, hey, you three, come out to the tent of meeting. Now, it's quite interesting, the three of them went out. Now, he's already speaking to them. They hear him saying, come out to the tent. So why do they need to come to the tent to meet God when they're already hearing him speak to come to the tent? And I suppose it's a kind of symbolic thing that's going on. But God is speaking in this passage. And God is... In this passage, we, just see, we see a number of things, right? God is speaking. Second thing we see is God chooses who he speaks through. He says, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so, with, you know. So God chooses who delivers his word. God chooses who he wants to speak through. And the third thing we see here is that God speaks through the humble. The first thing in, in verse, in this part of the chapter, is a little parenthetical comment in verse 3 of Numbers 12 before we get to anything else, before we get to the, the, the meeting at the tent of meeting, we get this. The man Moses was very meek, more than any man on the face of the earth. That was a little preamble to what's about to come. Just a little comment on his character. And that sets the tone for what's happening. It's the opposite of what Miriam and Aaron are experiencing. They're experiencing envy and pride and uh, glory-seeking, and Moses is meek. Miriam and Aaron are hardly being humble or meek here, are they? Uh, they, are, they were after a share of Moses' glory. And uh, that's what looks attractive to them, the honor and the glory. That what looks attractive. By the way, those of you in Christian ministry of any kind, this is a very dangerous thing, glory-seeking glory hunting, looking for who's going to acknowledge you, who's going to know about you, who's going to reward you publicly, who's going to give you honor. That's a dangerous thing, not just in Christian ministry, but also in every aspect of life, of course. Now, 
What do we know about Moses then in this passage? Well, he's very meek. What is meekness, by the way? Someone has defined it like this. He says, meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. Meekness is, if you like, is the strong living humbly. It's the strong living humbly. It's walking in humility without pushing yourself forward even though even if you are strong and capable and gifted. And so we see about Moses that he's meek and humble. We see also what God speaks about Moses in verse 7. He calls him my servant. He, Moses is God's servant. And he's rebuking Miriam and Aaron. God is he's saying, how could you speak? You know, why are we not afraid to speak against Moses? He is my servant. And Can you hear me? Can you all hear me? Okay, good. That was quick. Well, well done. Yeah, fantastic. We were prepared for that. So, uh, he's meek, he's a servant, and he's faithful. Right? He's faithful in all God's house. What qualifications is God looking for for someone who's going to speak for him? What qualifications? Is it fantastically gifted? Good looking? You know, if that's the case, the wrong person is speaking here today, right? It's these three things. Humble, servant, faithful, right? That's what, how Moses is described in this passage. You see, because if you're walking in humility and servanthood and faithfulness, guess what? God can trust you to deliver his word without your trying to seek glory for yourself, without your pride getting in the way. Your humil it's a humility, servanthood, and faithfulness. These are the people, and this is the man, Moses, whom God has chosen to be his number one mouthpiece at this time in Israel's life. What else do we know about Moses? We discover that he is hearing God. He's listening to him. In verse 8, with, with Moses, or with him, God says, I speak mouth to mouth. Openly, not in dark sayings, or not in not, uh, and he says he beholds the form of the Lord. This is a man who hears the Lord. No one can speak for God unless he hears from God. No one can speak for God unless we hear from God. And Moses is hearing God here 
mouth to mouth, it says. Uh, and God speaks to those who are near to him. He beholds his form. He's, this is the Moses that the scripture says used to go out to the tent of meeting and just talk with God. And uh, when he came out of that, his face was radiant because he'd been in the presence of God. This is a man who's in the presence of God, who's, who's listening to God, who's humbly walking with God, faithfully being a servant. This man God can use and speak through. In Exodus 33:11, it says, "Thus the Lord speak, used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to, his, to, to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent." So, God speaking to Moses face to face. Now, in this passage, we also discover that God does speak through prophets, and so God speaks to those who are humble. God speaks to those who are listening. And God speaks through prophets. He does. It's in the Bible, right? He says here, uh, if there's a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. That's in verse 6. Miriam and Aaron are absolutely right to think it's not only through Moses that God speaks, but they're wrong in the attitude. Now, Moses and Miriam and Aaron all hear God speak to them to go to the tent of meeting. They all can hear God, but he wants to speak to them at the tent of meeting because that's symbolic. That's the place in Israel's camp as they're walking through the desert. That The tent of meeting is a place where God presences himself in particular. That's where the cloud comes down, uh, the cloud of God's presence, and this is exactly what happens as they come to the tent the cloud comes over the tent. It's a sign or a symbol of God's own presence. And it's not just for Miriam and Aaron and Moses, for all the people to see. God is there and he's speaking. So he wants to speak to them at the tent of meeting in the pillar of cloud. God is saying, I'm being serious here, <laughs> right? This is important. So it's like, you know, sometimes... Uh, Parents will say to their children, hey, I want to speak with you. Well, you're already speaking to them, aren't you? But you're saying, when you say, I want to speak with you, you mean not just I want to talk, I want you to listen, is what they really say when I want to say I want to speak. And so God's saying, come out, I want to speak with you. He's saying, I want to, I'm going to speak, and you need to listen. And this is important. And he's... He says, I, the Lord, make myself known to prophets through visions and dreams. And by the way, what a wonderful thing that God makes himself known. Uh, how can we ever know that we can know God? How can we know that we can know God? By the way, theologians call this epistemology, right? Or other, and it's a theological epistemology, what is the study of knowledge. How can you ever know what you know? And especially that you know God. And of course the answer is, especially for an infinite God, and we're finite beings, how can we know the infinite? The answer is, God makes himself known. God is infinitely capable of making himself known to finite human beings. Or in other words, God can speak louder than your spiritual deafness. 
Amen? No matter how, you might be the deafest, spirit, spiritually deafest person in the world, God is able to shout louder than that. He's able to get through. So God does speak through the prophets, but he is, and so that's true, but they got the wrong attitude. And so he, he basically, God is making this point, you should be afraid to speak against Moses, the Lord's servant. Their envy and their disrespect and their criticism and their complaining leads to certain consequences. One is, God gets angry, right? God gets angry. Verse 9, the anger of the Lord burned against them. The second thing is, he left. God departed. You know, they're in the presence of God, and God gets angry with them, and he just, he just leaves. He leaves the room, if you like. God is angry, and he gets out of there. And what's left behind is Miriam has leprosy. Wow. Uh, it's a curious thing, and of course, people ask all the time, okay, why Miriam, and why not Aaron? You know, what, what's, up with, what's up with this? And the, uh, perhaps, perhaps the answer, I'm not sure if I know the full answer, but perhaps the answer comes in verse 1 of chapter 12, where it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. The verb for spoke there, they spoke against Moses, should be, for a, a couple of people like that, a plural verb in Hebrew. It's a singular verb. It's a singular feminine verb. In other words, the grammar is telling the reader if, that it's Miriam spoke against Moses and Aaron. It's, it's like that. Uh, and so it's telling the reader that she is the sort of lead instigator here. She's the one doing it. And Moses joined, and Aaron joined in too, but Miriam is the one who's really leading this out. That's the, what the grammar is telling us. Now, as we get to verses 10 to 16, we discover an important truth. So what have we got so far? Envy seeks glory and power. Humility receives God's word. Verses 10 to 16, here's our little heading for it. Embrace God's justice to receive his mercy. Embrace God's justice to receive his mercy. I'll explain this. What happens as they, as God leaves, uh, the cloud goes, Miriam's leprous, and Aaron sees it, and Aaron responds. And he turns to Moses and says, Lord, by the way, the word he calls Moses here, Adonai, uh, often used for God as Lord, but it could be any kind of Lord in the Old Testament. And that's a respectful word. Suddenly, he's got respect for Moses. He just had a, a, he's had a moment with God and he, oh. And so Moses is not this target of his criticism and his envy. Moses is now Lord, his boss, his master. And he says, Lord, my Lord, don't punish us because we have done foolishly and we have sinned. This is Aaron's come to Jesus moment, you know, in a sense, right? He has discovered, he realizes he's done wrong. He has sinned. And yet, oddly, rather, instead of talking to God, he's talking to Moses. Uh, and, and so, perhaps because God has left. But at any event, he is talking to Moses 
and asking that she may not be leprous, you know. And, and it's Moses who speaks to God. Moses who cries to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, God, please. And he says, please, twice. And please, and it's a Hebrew word here, can have a range of meanings, but it can mean please. And twice, and God, please, healer, please. Have you ever, have you ever prayed like that? Uh, it's not a bad way to pray. Be, be nice when you're talking to God. All right. And, uh, and so this is Aaron's recognition of his sin. And even though he talks to God, he talks to Moses instead of to God, and even though he blames Moses and not God, Moses, don't punish us, he says. It's God who's done this, not Moses. Even though he should have talked to God and confessed instead of Moses, and even though he blames Moses instead of God for the leprosy, even though that he is still, his, Miriam is still healed as, as far as we understand. This is the mercy of God. This is the most, one of the most lame confessions in the Bible, except that he recognizes that he sinned and that he's done wrong. And that was sufficient. Even though he didn't do it all right, God seems to hear this confession. This is the mercy of God. When you speak to God, don't worry about saying it exactly right. Hello? There's no magic prayer. If you think I've got to, unless I say it exactly right, I won't got, my prayers won't be answered. That's not how God works. He looks not on the outward appearance, but on the heart right and and so she has to stay outside of the camp seven days and if you went back to uh, uh, book of Leviticus you're going to see that that was the, the norm for people who had been healed of leprosy they had they wait seven days before they could come back into the camp uh, and so, and also in, uh, and, and this is actually picked up again in Deuteronomy 24, where uh, Moses says, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt, you know. So when, you, when there's people with leprosy. She becomes an object lesson for Israel. It, Mary, Aaron has to embrace God's justice to recognize that he has sinned, to, that, he deserve, that the punishment is deserved in order to receive God's mercy. Now, that's, just a, that's part of life. If you are someone who needs God's mercy, you first of all need to embrace his justice, say, oh, I understand, I don't deserve this mercy, I haven't earned it, I actually have earned the just punishment of God. But I'm going, so embrace his justice and ask for his mercy and guess what he's a merciful god <laughs> he's a merciful god now having said all of that about who speaks for god i want to just go on a little tour further in the bible because this passage has an afterlife <laughs> this passage has an afterlife in the bible in most interesting ways, I think. So, 
In Deuteronomy, well, well, let me explain this again. We see in this passage that Moses is a kind of special case, right? God speaks through prophets, yes, visions and dreams, but Moses face to face, mouth to mouth, plainly, no riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. This is quite something. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 18, Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18, Moses says to Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among your countrymen, you shall listen to him. And it goes on uh, again in verse 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, God says, and I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. By the time that Deuteronomy has received its final editing in the Bible, and this is well after Moses has died because Moses' death is described in Deuteronomy. By the time Deuteronomy is finally edited, which could be centuries later, that prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. The prophet like Moses has not yet come because in Deuteronomy 34.10, we see this. There has not arisen, this is right at the end of the book. There has not arisen a prophet in, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So it's very clear that this passage in Numbers 12, Deuteronomy 18, they see Moses as a kind of special case. He's not everybody's like him. He goes into the tent. He speaks with God face to face. He sees the form of the Lord. When God appeared on Mount Sinai in Exodus and so on, and uh, he, he appeared, they saw, you know, lightning, light, and so on. They didn't see the form of the Lord. And, uh, and in fact, that's what God says to them. Don't make idols because when I appeared to you, you didn't see a form. That's what he says there in Deuteronomy. But Moses is a special case. For, for one thing, he writes the first five books of the Bible, right? He's a scripture writer. He, he gets it absolutely right. And even though he's not a perfect man, we see he's punished by God for getting angry and not honoring God, and he doesn't end up in the promised land even if he sees it. Nevertheless, in his writing, in his prophecy, he gets it right. And he hears directly from God. But Moses promises a prophet like him. And according to Deuteronomy 34, that hadn't, at the end of that, sometime later in Israel's life, that hadn't yet happened. Did it ever happen? Well, in New Testament, now we're going to New Testament quickly. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and Acts, Jesus is the prophet like Moses. So when we think about Jewish people in the first century expecting or hoping, many of them, for a Messiah, a kingly figure to come, there's also, along with that, a hope for a prophet to come, a prophet like Moses, a new Moses along with a new David, as it were. In the transfiguration of Jesus' account, the scene where Jesus is lit up on the mountain as he meets with God, God speaks to Peter, James, and John, who were with Jesus there. 
And by the way, Moses is there and Elijah talking with Jesus. Moses who promised a prophet like himself that you should listen to him. And in verse 5 of Matthew 17, God speaks out of the cloud. Remember, he's speaking Numbers 12 out of a cloud to Moses, Aaron, Miriam, Aaron and Miriam, right? He's speaking out of a cloud and he says to Peter, James and John, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's alluding to that very passage back in Deuteronomy 18, 15. Prophet like me, you should listen to him. And Moses is right there on the Mount of Transfiguration hearing all this. In the Gospel of John in the first chapter, people are wondering who John the Baptist is. He's a pretty important prophet, first century, very important. And they think maybe he's the Messiah. And so they say to him in verse, are you the Messiah? He says, nope. And then they say, are you Elijah? Nope. Then they said, interesting thing, John 1 verse 21, are you the prophet? And that's exactly what they mean. Are you the prophet that Moses promised, a prophet like him that you should listen to, a new Moses, as it were? And he says, no. In Acts, in chapter 3, verse 22, Peter is preaching, the apostle Peter is preaching, and he says, Moses said, the Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers to him. You shall give heed in everything he says to you. In other words, listen to him. And then he says, and that's in verse 22 and in verse 26, he explains who that is. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. He's preaching about Jesus. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. He's greater than Moses, just like he's the king like David, but much greater than David. And he's a priest like Aaron, but much greater, right? In 1 Corinthians, Paul promises, this is a fun bit, in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, and he says, he's talking about prophecy in the church. He says, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. For we know partially and we prophesy partially, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So he's talking about spiritual gifts in the church, and he says Christian prophecy is is good but it's partial and Christian gifts of knowledge are good but they're partial we're waiting for the perfect the complete to come he says when I was a, ma- a child I spoke like a child I thought like a child I reasoned like a child but when I became a man I gave up childish ways for now we see in a mirror dimly or it's the word there is exactly the same word in the uh, Old Testament especially the Greek version of the Old Testament of Numbers tw- 12 where Prophets see God, hear from God in visions and dreams, and they hear him in a riddle or dimly or in a a sort of enigmatic fashion, more of a symbolic fashion rather than word for word. And that's what Moses and, and Paul is alluding back to Numbers 12. He's saying Christian prophecy is just like the other prophets, not Moses, you know, who here they get visions and dreams and they have to kind of work out what it means. And it's kind of partial, but he says... Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He's alluding back to this. And, to, and know I, now I know in part, and I shall know fully, even though I've been fully known. 
Wow. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, 29, the Lord promises that he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and young men shall see visions. Every, every believer is going to have the spirit of God. Every believer is a priest according to Revelation chapter 1. He's made us a kingdom, priests who is God and Father. Every believer has the Spirit. According to Romans 8 and 9, whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. And every believer can prophesy. According to 1 Corinthians 14, 31, you may all prophesy one by one. But not all believers are prophets, and certainly not all are apostles. as we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 29. Are all apostles? No, is the obvious answer, all prophets, are all teachers, work, all miracle workers. The answer is clearly no. Finally, in Hebrews chapter 3, we see another part of the afterlife of Numbers 12. Holy brothers, he says, you who share in a heavenly calling, think about Jesus. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, He's faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more than the, has the, than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses then in chapter 12 of Numbers is a type of Christ. He is the one who points, this is pointing to a greater figure who's going to get more glory than Moses. Uh, and Moses is a servant, but God is a son in God's house. Moses is faithful as a servant. God can speak through him. Jesus is the prophet like Moses, but much greater, as greater as the builder is than the house. And Moses then is great, but Jesus is infinitely greater. And so this passage points us to Jesus through whom God has completely and ultimately spoken. The one whose return we are waiting for when the complete and the perfect comes. So who speaks for God or whom does God speak through? God speaks primarily through Jesus. That's his number one word, right? is Jesus. He speaks through the Bible. Even now, Moses is still speaking for God as we read his books. He speaks, God speaks through the gospel, the message, the Christian message. And he speaks, of course, even through creation. But God speaks secondarily through faithful, humble, servant-hearted believers full of the Spirit not seeking their own glory and those God can trust to, to take his message to the world and through whom he can speak to others. Amen. Okay. Thank you, everybody.
I'm going to go ahead and um, take some time to think about that and to reflect on that. Um, As we sing these songs and and reflect on it, um, any confessions that we need to make before our God of pride or misplaced priorities, and because um, I know I've had those moments where I just think that I just have my priorities mixed up and why I'm doing things. Uh, I encourage you to bring that before the Lord and confess that and humble yourselves before Him as we sing and ask God to revive us, to revive our church, to revive our individual lives in that. you've done before in greater measure you will do again there's no prison wall you can't break through no mountain you can move all things are possible there's no Fear what you 
prayer this morning. God, come awaken your people. with our personal walks with you. We pray that you would reveal to us our sin, that you would reveal to us our pride, to send revival into our lives. I must listen to you humbly, knowing exactly that you have, that we have deserved every little bit of what you have given us, Lord. We deserve so much worse not for your blood. So we thank you, Lord. We love you. We're so grateful for you. You're a king of glory, Lord. Nations will bow to you. We pray that we get to see that happen. 
done great things. 